everyone. Uh, this is another episode of the Pre-Raphaelite Society podcast. And today um, I am here at the wonderful Dimbola Museum and Galleries in the Isle of Wight. Um, and it currently is a really, really lovely day outside, but I wish you could see it. Anyway, I am here with Dr. Brian Hinton, MBE, who is an author, poet, musicologist and avid researcher. His primary interest has been literary research into the circle of Alfred Lord Tennyson and the renowned 19th century photographer Julia Margaret Cameron. He is chairman of the Julia Margaret Cameron Trust and honorary curator at Dimbola Museum and Galleries. He was the serving president of the Farringford Tennyson Society. Brian has authored more than 30 books on various topics, including Julia Margaret Cameron, the Tennysons and the Isle of Wight Festival. Brian, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for... um, agreeing to come along to record a podcast with us um so i'm on <laughs> um so first question then let's talk about your research interests a little bit more um what made you research into julia margaret cameron well it's it's a strange one the last thing i thought i was going to end up doing would be running a museum to a victorian photographer who i'd barely heard of um right uh, when I, when i was in oxford I fell in love with the poetry of Alfred Tennyson, who in the 1970 I went up was, I suppose, a bit in abeyance. Uh, I loved Idols of the King, his Arthurian epic over 12 books, which becomes very relevant as you go on. Um, uh, so I loved Tennyson. Um, I took over the Oxford University Poetry Society, which was in was moribund, and I put on readings by... Ted Hughes and Doug H. Orton and all these great writers. Um, and then I did research, as you were doing. I did a PhD at Birmingham University in modern poetry. Um, then I studied as a rare book librarian. And I was quietly, though I'm never quiet, <laughs> I was quietly running a library and music library um, on the Isle of Wight. Um, and I'd started the Art of White Poetry Society with my dear friend, as became, David Gascoigne, the great surrealist writer. Um, and through him, we found all kinds of brilliant young writers and old established ones, and we put them on in various pubs and uh, theatres. Um, and then, I must admit, 10 years of poets is enough for anyone. So I then uh, was asked to found the Farringford Tennyson Society by the late Fred Ponton. Um, and we met in Tennyson's study at Farringford and we had all kinds of wonderful professors and Andrew Motion gave a talk of his love of Tennyson um, and musicians and, uh, and, uh, and, and lecturers. And, yeah, we had a really flourishing society and it's still talked about. One day I ran into, I think, a committee meeting or a meeting of the society still at Farringford and shouted out. I literally ran in. I screamed, they're going to demolish Dimbala. Anyway, so we got together with the the people that were trying to save historic buildings on the Isle of Wight, Isle of Watch, including a young David Icke. I wonder what happened to him (laughs) before he was in his purple phase, I think. Um, and uh, we had a joint meeting, and we the press came, um, local media, and we said, we're not going to allow this. Enough of the lovely Victorian 
fabric of the Isle of Wight has been demolished by speculative developers and builders. This is a step too far. Um, and oh my God, as I said to you earlier when we first met, we were called, oh, one man, the director of culture, threw us out of his office. But you were a bunch of amateurs. I said, yeah, am amateur from Ammo, I love. Uh, we were old hippies, we were maniacs, we were dreamers, we were... However, we were bloody determined, uh, if I'm allowed to say bloody on, on that <laughs> one. Uh, and, um, and we um, we used the media, well, I didn't use the media, but we... Um, uh, Colin Ford, who ran the National Museum of Photography and a great Cameron scholar, he was marvellous behind the scenes. Uh, Private Eye did a, a wonderful half-page on us in Nooks and Crannies. Uh, I repaid Ian Hislop with a huge piece of Dimbola homemade cake <laughs> so many years down the track. I've already uh, tried this you know, cake, you, by the way. Tried, you liked Absolutely it, Absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, well, Ian had an even bigger piece than you did. <laughs> and he had it for free, bless him. Um, and we had, um, yeah, we had the Times. Diary had a piece, uh, and the photographic press were marvellous. Um, and um, really, at the last minute, because it was going to be demolished, um, we um, managed to get a grant from the Foundation for Sport and Arts, which just gave us enough to buy, what's well, about half of the current house. But if they demolished that, which they had permission to do, um, the, the other half would have fallen down. We now own that as well. But when we took over, we found a tree growing through one of the windows. We had dry rot, we had rising damp, we had wet rot, we had collapse. Well, there are no foundations, so you can't have collapsing foundations when you don't have any. Um, uh, that uh, it was in a terrible state. We got rid of all of the chipboard and the partitions and the baby bellings. We had a big toilet sale outside of about 20 loos. And light started flooding back into the house. And as we stripped away the, um, the, the chipboard, we found scraps of William Morris wallpaper. Um, we found Philip Webb tiles. Uh, we found uh, gold paint uh, on original fireplaces. Um, we found how wonderful she had all it. She was so very good at branding herself, even then. We found lots of carved wood done to her direction. And we found this wonderful combination of, I won't say pre-Raphaelite, of arts and crafts and her Indian heritage. So in design uh, sense, it's really important because it combines those two. The then conservation officer, Ian Smith, who, who approved demolition, said there's nothing worth saving. There we go. Uh, it's now grade two listed, so it's quite safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, and um, I had to do a crash course in researching Julia Margaret Cameron. Um, I didn't know about her. One local councillor said to me in the most arrogant tones, I've never heard of a woman. And I said to, to this councillor, Madam, your ignorance is not my problem. She subsequently left for Spain. So I'm sure that Dr. Hinton is glad that I'm going. I just smiled. <laughs> um, that, no, we, we, um, we had a support mechanism. We had one lady, a descendant of the family of Lewis Carroll, Charles Dodson. And Miss Dodson had a telescope. Uh, she had a phone and a number of phones. And if the demolition crew had arrived, there was a sign in the window saying demolition um, company. 
she had all our, even if it was at three a.m. in the morning. She, Miss Dodgson was up for it. Uh, she was, she had all. She was, we were all. I'd already been almost arrested for being aggressive with my placard. So uh, we were, yeah, we were old hippies. We were like sort of proto-terrorists. We were determined. And part Arnabots used to actually occupy buildings so that they weren't uh, demolished overnight. So you know, you're talking about a determined bunch of anarchists, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saved the house. And it's still here, and it's like a palace of the arts. It really is. I mean, um, it's my first time at the Isle of Wight. It's certainly my first time visiting Dimbola, and it's an absolutely beautiful house. Um, speaking of, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about this truly special place and its significance with regards to Julie Margaret Cameron, um, with her you know, connections within the Freshwater Circle? Why is this place so significant? Um, Mrs. Cameron was born in Calcutta, or Calcutta, as it's now called. Um, she grew up there, except she was also went to be schooled in Versailles, Paris, and London. So she knew all about fine arts. She went back to Calcutta. She married Charles Hay Cameron in the cathedral. Um, she was nowhere. She'd never even taken a photograph, but she'd been very friendly with uh, William Herschel. And he would keep her informed about his work with Fox Talbot in developing the very art and science of photography. In 1848, she moved back or moved to London with her husband and they got friendly with the Tennysons in Putney. Um, So her sister, um, Mrs Princep, uh, was putting on soirees in Little Holland House, which Tennyson regularly attended. When the Tennysons moved down to the island to rent and then buy Farringford, Mrs Cameron became a regular house guest. Her husband's way with the tea estates in the salon. And in the end, Emily Tennyson said, It's lovely to see you again, uh, Mrs Cameron. Oh, I found you two old, uh, or actually quite new, workmen's cottages. We could make something off them. We aren't going to plant you a garden. And you can move there and then you'll be down the road and not in my guest room. Uh, So that's what happened in 1860. um, She moved into one um, cottage um, and the other one she rented out. Um, And then in 1870, when she made money from photography, she built a tower and united it as, as one house. So the Tennysons were up the road, literally in a, a mile at the most, up the road. Uh, she was um, their great friend. Uh, so Tennyson would bring his guests down. They'd have long dining sessions and discussions. Darwin stayed here for a while. G.F. Watts used to come down. And Mrs. Cameron uh, built, or rather had built, a, a hen house got rid of the hens or replaced them or put them somewhere else um, and turned that into her studio. In 1863, her Christmas present was a camera, though she had experimented with photography for years before. Um, And in 1864, she made her coal hole into her actual developing place and she started taking photographs for real. And she worked here on and off until 1875 when she left for Ceylon, uh, Sri Lanka. Um, So she 
photographed Tennyson many a time. Um, her last um, big uh, commission was from him to illustrate his idols or idols of the king. Now, in terms of your readership, listenership, membership, I don't know if she influenced the pre-Raphaelites or they, I think they influenced her. On the other hand, she probably influenced Valentine Princep, who was her nephew. Um, I think the pre-Raphaelites came first, but I bow to your and your <laughs> superior knowledge. Uh, I'm a literature man, you know. Um, but certainly there, there is a similar in the way of using flowing robes, flowing hair, and that's just the men. Huge <laughs> beards, uh, but a love of beauty, bringing in wildlife and, 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 and flowers and ferns. And at one point, she, she put her husband, who was a jocund old so-and-so, and she put him in a hollow oak to play Merlin, right. being imprisoned by uh, Vivian or, um, And he was laughing so much that the, that the dead oak kept on wobbling. And, and the lady playing um, the temptress said, would you stop your husband laughing? It's putting me off. Um, so she used... Um, things of the natural world and in terms of painting she was a painter because you know what she did she'd get the wet collodion wet plate on glass she'd get her paintbrush out and she would paint in feet she'd paint in halos she'd paint in a moon so wow. she was very avant-garde uh, and attracts a lot of avant-garde uh, practitioners from Robert Maplethorpe to Andrew Serrano to whoever that, that she was in, intervening directly with her actual materials That's so yeah so she really was ahead of her time in every sense i mean looking at um you know some of the works of today I mean, do, do you have a favorite work of cameron's or is that merely impossible to decide no it's not ellen terry oh. is extraordinary she's photographed in the farringford bathroom this beautiful young woman who looks like she's so contemporary um you know, it's extraordinary that, that, that she this was taken in, I don't know, 1860s. Um, there's something about that photograph. And, of course, she married G.F. Watts. Um, that wicked woman, Virginia Woolf, wrote <laughs> a satirical play called Freshwater about this failed marriage and Ellen Terry running off with a sailor in the in the play. Um, uh, that, um, yeah, yeah, but it is true. I mean, the, the, there's the famous some of the photographs involving Mary Hillier, uh, Mrs Cameron's maid, uh, The Kiss of Peace, and they are just so ethereal and uh, they're just, just stunning, absolutely they stunning. They really are, they're absolutely lovely. Yeah. I mean, um, Victorian photography in general, I mean, I, I must admit, um, prior to our conversation today, it's it's a it's an art form that I am not particularly familiar with, because um, as you know, I work a lot with paintings. Mm. I look at, mm. um, I look predominantly at poetry, etc. I mean, yeah. but what would you say is Cameron's legacy to photography, right. as an art form? Well, the Victorians, by and large, the professional photographers hated her. Really, they, there's a wonderful new book by Martha Weiss from the V&A. I highly called. Um, Oh, I forgot what it's called now, but it, it, it's it's uh, it's about capturing beauty and to, um, that um, she she lists all of the attacks on this lady amateur and this dreadful. We we will not even discuss Mrs Cameron's uh, <laughs> awful work. Um, so she was very unusual among Victorian photographers. She did not focus. Lewis Carroll particularly hated her work, and he she hated his photographs. 
Um, so it's unfocused or it's focused to artistic effect. Um, people are not given neck rests. They are allowed to flop. They were told not to blink. That's difficult over four or five minutes of an exposure. Um, she she took large heads that was virtually unheard of. She accentuated with strange backcloths um, that she made some of them. I mean, some of her tableaus still do look a bit odd, but she was particularly good on capturing people's personalities. And she wanted to get the great poet, Tennyson, the great painter, the great model, the great actress, um, or even the, the noble workman. You know, that she was looking for archetypes and she was hugely schooled in Renaissance painting. So she knew where to bring one light source down on the face using an old carpet on the glass you know, structure of the, of the studio. But she knew all about, great, about classic art and uh, Giotto and, and Michelangelo. Um, and some of her photographs are actually versions of famous paintings so she brought all of that she was forgotten derided her photographs worthless until the 1960s when the likes of david bailey uh, and lord litchfield rediscovered her uh, then there was a huge uptick in her value and collectability so robert maplethorpe and patty smith uh, were entranced by her work in new york in the 70s, uh, 60s even, um, that um, that she was suddenly seen to be iconic. I know it's overused, but she was actually mm -hmm. making icons uh, and all kinds of avant-garde painters, photographers, writers uh, to the present day have been influenced by her work. Nick Cave, one of his early novels, has got a Cameron image on the on the cover, for example. Um, lots of... of um, what should we say, progressive record albums have got her images as the cover. Um, they're so mysterious and strange. So you could say her influence now is more than it ever has been throughout, mm -hmm. um, throughout 150 years since she basically stopped, stopped work. Yeah, and we had a conversation earlier, didn't we, about this, um, the, you know, this, this revival of interest in not only periaphylitism, but Victorian mm. art and Victorian yeah. Yeah. Um, work, um, just just a critical revival in it, really. But yeah. um, could you talk to us a little bit more about her well, can other... I, so, can I just say for your question? Yeah. The, the key film for me is The Piano, um, which is apparently was very influenced by the... Well, Jane Campion said it was influenced by her love of Cameron's imagery oh, really and there you have it set in new zealand in a deserted you know beach but yeah so it you 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 can't i mean early hollywood you used mm. to use stills from mrs cameron in between in silent films so her influence on other arts is quite extraordinary no really. so, so sorry to interrupt no it's yeah. fine no it's yes. fine yeah. um I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about um her other connections within the freshwater circle because from you know, following on from what we discussed earlier and about the freshwater circle, I had no idea of some of the names right. within the freshwater circle that were in there. Right. It used to be called the Tennyson Circle. It was Tennyson who attracted a lot of the people who came. But then Mrs. Cameron had her own following. Um and it was really it was a circle. Tennyson was at the centre of it. Mm -hmm. Um but you had um Millet, uh the Rossettis, uh, Sullivan, Gilbert and Sullivan, um, J. 
G.F. Watts, who actually lived in freshwater, uh, Jowett, the, the philosopher, you had leading botanists who were on the cutting edge. Darwin uh, would have long conversations with Tennyson over dinner about what, what evolution meant to Christianity. Um, that you had uh, the young Ellen Terry as a young actress, um, but you, you had uh, sci scientists, you had politicians, you had gentry. Um, it was an extraordinary mingling, and they were talking about the cutting edge in, and they bring their students from Oxford and Cambridge down for long weekends or summers. It was in the summer, really, that it, came, that it flowered, and Mrs Cameron was there photographing photographing Longfellow, photographing Prince Ali Mui, a very touching photograph of, of, of the young prince. Um, that all kinds of people that you wouldn't expect, were, and it was quite contrary to the circle around Queen Victoria in Osborne, only know, 15 miles away. It was much more, it was bohemian, but it also involved, let's say, scientists, thinkers, um, academics, you know, it was an extraordinary meeting. And Mrs. Cameron was at the centre of it, even if Tennyson attracted them, she was the one who really planned it and thought it through. Her sister had done the same at the Holland House, not to the same effect. And of course, she plugged into the whole French tradition of Chateaubriand, Madame Camier, that idea of a retreat in a green shade. They talk about the green lanes of freshwater. Uh, where it flowered, this meeting of all these people, almost on on a holiday, they were like at peace. They could, they were in a, in a sacred space or a, a neutral space where they could get away from their everyday concerns and discuss and yeah, and talk about their own different artistic practices. And so I say the pre-Raphaelites certainly tennis. A lot of them painted Tennyson scenes. A lot of them knew Tennyson, mm -hmm. um, and uh, Millet, of course, painted um, autumn, the autumn leaves being burnt at Farringford. Um, it's wonderful what they've done at Farringford, by the way, where they've got a reproduction of that, of that painting and many others that were there in Tennyson's time. Mm -hmm. They recreated the children's um, uh, library, all the books that, that they know that, that the two Tennyson sons had. Um, and they've even put back the wonderful blue wallpaper which Mrs. Cameron thoughtfully uh, delivered to Farringford without actually asking Emily's um, agreement first. <laughs> um, but no, what's been done at Farringford on a much bigger scale than here, but the same thing is stripping down, getting rid of all the modern rubbish, putting back the Victorian character. Um, and in, in their case, they've done a huge work on the grounds of Farringford and putting it back to the Victorian gardens that were there we've got done the same it's like we've got jimmy hendrix in the middle of our victorian <laughs> flag well you can ask me but i'll explain the separate answer yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna say um to all of our listeners um if you if you ever do come by to visit dimbola uh, someday they do also have a fantastic collection on the isle of white festival and and david bowie as well yeah. and all sorts of things like that. So if you are interested in that stuff, then I'd also recommend a visit here, as well as you're interested to um, Julie Margaret Cameron, of course. Um, so speaking of um, Dimbola uh, and Farringford, is, is there anything that you're currently working on? Um, I did notice that there was um, a lot of stained glass uh, in next door in the workshop yeah, room. Yeah. Well, uh, we managed to get an Arts Council grant um, 
for emergency funding because we were, you know, we've always been on the edge financially, if not over it. Um, and we've managed to put some put back some lovely um, heavy wood um, shelving in the library, and which everyone is welcome to come and use. Any academics or students are welcome to come and use our, our research library. Um, uh, we've put new shelving in our wonderful shop. Um, we've we commissioned a local stained glass maestro uh, to take motifs from the house. And Mrs Cameron's design motifs were like four-leaf clovers and all kinds of strange little designs that she put in here. And we've reproduced that in stained glass in our wonderful new entrance hall. So, well, it's the same entrance hall, but we've, um, yeah, we've enhanced it. We're always trying to put interest back into the house yeah. in the spirit, you know, of, of Mrs Cameron's original vision, uh, which we know that she had deep reds and deep blues. There's still some original blue paint. Um, we know that she had mother of pearl furniture. We're still trying to source that, uh, to put that in her, in the Cameron galleries. She had rugs, we put those back in, rush matting, um, I say lots of Indian motifs. Yeah, so we're trying to make it a really, and people love, when I look at the visitor's book, people love that sense of, and we're very anarchic. Um, we have no um, big public funding, so we go our own way. We have lots of young artists, we certainly young women photographers, cutting edge people, people way outside the, even the avant-garde. Anything goes here, I'll tell you. I mean, from how you've described Julia Margaret Cameron today um, and, the, you know, the way that she was and, um, do you know, uh, what influenced her artistically and what inspired mm. her, I mm. think Dimbola really does bring that out. And even in the tea room, yes. um, even, even what is, um, you know, what, what, what is up for offer for people who go in there to eat is so typically Julie Margaret Cameron in the variety, the, the adventure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's just such a, such a wonderful place. Yeah. So um, finally... Thank I, you, I, thank <laughs> you. No, any time, any time. Thank you so much for hosting me. Um, I just wanted to g give you a chance to advise our our listeners um, how they can access Dimbella, how can they engage with it, what what can we do to, um, you know, to, to really push Dimbola to an audience, to well, a wider just audience. Just tell people... Uh, right. Um, come in the summer. I mean, we, we close over the uh, January and, and indeed December uh, and it can be a bit bleak. Um, <laughs> but come in the spring, summer and autumn, we have big exhibitions that we change over um, on a three monthly basis. But we always have the core collections here. Um, it's the easiest way to come to Yarmouth uh, from Lymington. But you can come further away. You can come from Southampton to Cowes or Portsmouth to um, near Ride. Um, yeah, it's it's very much um, you should come and see Dimbola and Farringford while is, that's open in the summer, the spring summer. summer. Um, and the landscape. Walk up to what's now Tennyson Down to look at the Celtic monument to the poet right up on the top. Just walk around the bay, which has got so many echoes, and um, walk around. Yeah, it's a beautiful landscape. I came for the 1970 Isle of Wight Pop Festival, um, and I was entranced by the fact I could see the sea from both sides, the Solon and the uh, English Channel. Uh, you had the deep green of the, uh, of the chalk landscapes. 
Um, you had the, the blue of the sea on either side. You had the wonderful air. You had the brilliant music. And in my, what should we say, uh, my blurry eyes um, at the <laughs> time, I was 19, um, behind Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and whoever, um, and Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell, but especially at night, you'd see at twilight, you saw the sun setting over this wonderful Celtic cross. And that was the Tennyson Monument. Mm -hmm. So many years later, I came back to the island to take a job just for my memories of that pop festival. So that's very well represented here as yeah. well. Uh, and a whole new generation of people love all that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, Dimbler, it's run largely by volunteers, a tiny group of part-time paid workers. Um, yeah, but we do try to put on interesting things we've got an absolutely anarchic painter in residence who someone described as turner with soul uh, anna Keane, who's a landscape painter but paints denuded and threatened landscapes especially the thames and and, uh, mm -hmm. and the, the wilder reaches of the thames um and and indeed uh, of the island um uh so we 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 have you know all kinds of artists and writers who are associated with the place and a wonderful tea room yeah yeah just come for the tea room you know don't even come to the museum just come to the tea sit in our lovely grounds have the homemade cake you know and look at our william morris um um you know pattern uh, wallpaper which is we know there was a she had original william morris paper in the house uh look at our photograph of vanessa bell as a young woman uh sitting in in the hallway um yeah and and um yeah just enjoy the ambience it really is a wonderful place. Um, and I think you've rounded up that, you know, the whole idea of Dimbella and, you know, what it stands for and just the, just the sheer beauty of the place. And, you know, it, it really is just a wonderful place. And I thank you so much for joining me today, Brian, and talking about um, Julie Margaret Cameron and talking about this, you know, the, the wonderful Dimbella house and, and the efforts that you went behind in, in you know, in, in saving it as well. Um, so... Yeah, thank you very much. And Ooh. thanks again to our listeners as well. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time for another episode of the pre Flight podcast. So take care and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.